to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and for this episode of the podcast, you are going to be able to hear the full panel I was a panelist for at DragonCon 2016. It was all about the DC films and TV shows, so I hope you enjoy it. obviously a very broad subject, um, but the first thing we want to talk about is the way that the, the DC television and DC movies have been kept very, very, very separately until now, and there's been no crossover, and they've, all the production teams involved have made it very, very plain that there is no crossover, even though now Ezra Miller, who is playing the Flash in the Flash movies, and he played it in, 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 the, in the movies, he has some cameos there as well, he's talking about how he and Grant Gustin, who plays Barry Allen on the TV show, The Flash, have uh, started having some conversations about possibly seeing if they can arrange some kind of appearance since uh, the multiverse exists in the Arrowverse and seeing how that's gonna work out. Obviously it's now, it's just the brainchild of the actors at this point in time, but um, but uh, aside from that, the TV and the movies have been kept and they're completely you know, quarantined from each other and I wanted to hear from the panelists if they thought that was mostly a positive, or has you know, if there's if there's a negative to that as well. I think DC has looked at the wild success that Marvel has had with their video projects and is running as fast as they can in the opposite direction. <laughs> I, I think it's a very questionable decision to keep them that separate. I think a lot of the stuff they're doing on TV is really well done, and I do not understand the mindset behind that. But again, that's just my opinion. I think a lot of the times when we're talking about keeping them separate and keeping them together, um, it does often come down to, well, the actors are available or the actors would like to work together or, uh, you know, we don't necessarily understand why, but I think a lot of the reasons why actually fall more under the category of writing and the composition of the universes rather than actor or actress availability. Um, and I think that that's sort of a, a roadblock to the discussion is, you know, we say, oh, this guy would love to be in movies, or this guy would totally cameo on the TV shows, and it's not really about that. It's about whether the universes could overlap in such a way to where we're not sacrificing quality or believability as far as, you know, superhero stuff goes across the universes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, actually. I, I would say that, um, when you have a very, very large um, universe, like Marvel, I'm a, I'm a Marvel fan as well, uh, but there are literally dozens of story threads in that universe right now, and it is, it is hugely challenging to coordinate the creative team and just to keep track of all of the different um, story arcs and details and, and just to meld that together. And so, so some of 
I think, the, some of the rationale behind keeping those things separately uh, between movies and TV is that it has allowed uh, people to tell, um, I guess, more tight stories that have less less threads to keep to incorporate and, and to some degree, you know, it's given them a little bit more flexibility in the direction. They can say they're not limited by, you know, the movies aren't limited by what Gotham has done or what, you know, The Flash has done. So it's given them a little bit more liberty to explore different different tones and different, certainly, certainly if you look at Supergirl and you look at Zack Snyder's, uh, you know, universe, the tones are night and day, literally night and day with color palettes. And so, um, so you know, I think that that has, that's a positive in that regard. It's given them, you know, a wider canvas right. on which to tell the stories. And I don't think the TV shows each are not simply superhero shows. Arrow is a show about a family. It's a family dynamic show. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not Arrow, sorry, The Flash. It's a show about family. And the Arrow is a prime procedural. So these shows, although they under the guise of a superhero show, are very much oriented towards television. They each have their own very specific television genre. And that wouldn't quite work, I don't think, in the realm of a film where you need to sell it to, you need to make $200 million over the weekend and you can't sort of build those relationships in the way same way you can on television. And two hours, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think that the tone differences makes it important, in fact, vitally important that they keep them separate. The films, the people making the films are clearly interested in the notion of can a hero sort of be sandblasted by tragedy and, and at the end, what's left? Uh, and the shows are about can heroism be created by building people up through the human relationships that sustain them? And so they're very different kinds of stories. One of them is about deconstructing a hero and one of them is about what turns a person into a hero in the first place. Yeah, I agree that it, it opens up stories so that they're not And selfishly, as a fan, I love that we get two flashes. I like that it's almost like reading two different comic books, you know, written by two different writers. We get a TV show where they get to explore the Flashpoint paradox, and then we get to see the movies where the Flash time travels into the Batcave and yells about how important Lois Lane is. That is so exciting to me that we get to see two different stories involving some of the same characters, but getting to see how the writers choose to interpret them. My one rebuttal on the whole keeping it separate point is that DC management stepped on the Arrow folks on the TV show and both prevented them from using Harley Quinn and forced them to kill off their version of Suicide Squad. Yeah, and in retrospect, that's kind of um, been, a, been a, a real shame because now that Jeff Johns is president of DC Entertainment, he's kind of just doing away with all that. Like if he had if he had been in charge in the first place, <laughs> we would still have Deathstroke on. Legends of Tomorrow wasn't able to use um, Alan Scott because of the Green Lantern rights issues. They still, they're still not able, so now they had to, had to bring an Hour Man instead, which obviously I'm okay with. But, you know, but um, <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. But, um, but originally they did want to use Alan Scott, and they couldn't. So like there, there is some. I mean, some of it is creative, but some of them has, some of it has definitely been corporate. But I think they're left, they're going a little bit relaxed on that now because you're going to have something else. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I think they're trying to sort of say, okay, and maybe they're because Jeff works both in television, so he's a lot of My hope is that what there is that an element where they're having separate universes is them realizing, and I think that this is reflected to some degree in the multiverse in the Arrowverse TV shows, them realizing that part of the fun of this is telling alternative stories, that the part of the fun of the fan experience and that's sort of like the <laughs> element and getting to redo things and do them two or three times and see how they turn out each time. I, I think that that's something, I hope that that's something that you're wanting to incorporate into the things that create. Yeah, I think there's a certain appeal as a fan watching whatever show you're watching, kind of 
trying to figure out how these characters would play together, or what if this person met this person, or what if we could have had Harley Quinn on Arrow, and, and things like that. And that's, it's nice to imagine, but at the same time, when you start to play with fire in that sense, you do run the risk of sacrificing plot quality, or creating plot holes, or universe holes, and, and, and as a fan, it's nice to speculate about that, but there are actual, you know, people Logical. in charge. Yeah. Right, people in charge are trying to as best as they possibly can, and we can all plot holes here and there, anyways. Um, as best as they possibly can, you know, pay attention to the quality of these storylines, and pay attention, you know, when we do crossovers across shows or across universes, what are we sacrificing in the process for our heroes? What heroes are we having to um, disarm for a second? What characteristics are we having to drop? And is it really worth it, you know, to pull off this stunt or to have this face on for a second? And, and that's just something, it, it, it's not a question that's easy to answer, but it's a question that we do have to ask, I think. Yeah. you have a question? Yes. Uh, yes, do you, uh, this has always been my thought, my thought uh, but I was, I want to put you in the question. Do you, do you feel that the success of the Nolan Batman trilogy has had an adverse effect on both DC, I mean, DC, TV, and the movies? Because even in, even in He wants to know what um, we think if you, if you think that the Nolan trilogy, the Batman trilogy, had an adverse effect on, on the, is that right, the, on the TV shows, and as well as the, the, the subsequent films that have been made. Yeah, right. Yeah, like there's how if it made everything dark, um, like dark, grim dark, you know, and things. Oh, I mean, to, to answer your question, I mean, um, I think that it's it's been unquestionably influential. Like the influences of the success, not just in terms of the box office success, but critical success too. Particularly with Christian Bale's performance that got um, a lot of really good feedback from both critics and audiences. I think that uh, that's something. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that subsequent. Um, versions of, of uh, the film universe is going to take into account. I, I haven't really seen any direct influence that I can think of off the top of my head on the TV universe. I mean, um, it's very, you know, the subsequent uh, movie, movies, uh, the Snyder, you know, films are very, very, very different in tone. Even Arrow, that is probably the darkest of all of the, well, Gotham too. Gotham and Arrow are both pretty, pretty dark in their tones a, a lot of times. Even that, I don't even, I don't think they even touch the levels of a story, like how dark the, the, the films get, and just in terms of uh, the, the, the pathos that they um, imbue their characters with. And I just, even even though a lot of dark things happen on Arrow and on, and on Gotham, um, I just, I, I don't see any direct, direct influence to, I mean, you know, it could be, but I, I don't see it, I haven't seen it. I, I actually think that of all the shows, um, Green Arrow and Green Arrow was 
Batman in another city. Mm -hmm. It has always been his history. Yeah. And, and, and But he was always slightly darker than Batman yeah. in the fact that uh, um, the not using of, of guns mm -hmm. did not come into his place. So he, he, he skated the line a lot more uh, in the 60s than, than he does even on the TV show now. And I think that that ties a lot into sort of what we're discussing here when we're talking about, you know, the, the differences in mediums, whether it's cinematic or television, or in this case, you know, comic book versus, you know, TV, is it's easy to kind of look at comparing what's happening right now. And, and you know, we can see that the Nolan trilogy happened first and then Arrow happened second, and oh, that must have come from that. But there is a lot of history behind these that um, influence each other or exist in the same or similar universes, and it's not just quite as simple as what's happening right now, if you look at it. It's a good point. And just, just jumping off of, off of his point, I, I, uh, one of the things that I really, really loved about Batman versus Superman um, is is the way that they brought up and and explored uh, the the various uh, approaches to crime fighting, the, the the philosophy of crime fighting, if you will. And uh, you know, and you had um, in one hand you had you know Superman saying, um, I'm going to put this very simplistically, you know, but you'll, you'll get just as like basically he, he's saying, you know, people have civil rights, you can't trample all over them, you can't just decide to take justice into your own hands and brand people because they are this or that. Even if, you know, as a person, I can agree that they are morally deserving, uh, you know, just as a, as a figure of, of, of delivering justice, you can't, you can't make yourself judge, jury, and executioner, whereas, you know, Batman's point of view is, um, you know, the, these people are irredeemable. Like, what's even the point of going, taking them to court, and the, where they're subject to being let free because of corruption and what have you? And then you had Wonder Woman who's like, forget y'all, this is like a mess, I don't even want to deal with any of this, I'm gonna disappear for 100 years. So you had all these different approaches to um, to ways of solving crime and to making the world a better place, and I wish that the TV shows would delve into that a little bit more, because you see elements of that uh, in, in the different characters in the Arrowverse. You see even, um, you know, with, with Supergirl and Jimmy Olsen, where they had a really, really wonderful scene, I think, I wanna say episode 12, of the season where he sat her down and he's like you cannot just lock people up forever without a trial or anything this is not right and this isn't who you are and i just wish that the shows would um would delve into that, that aspect of, of how the, the various approaches to being a superhero you know can, can, can take yeah. yes. uh i have a question that's okay first of all i agree with like the Batman and Superman, even with his extended cut, like there's no humor or any yeah, downtime. There's no humor in, in any of the films. Yeah. It is dark, depressing, it's relentless all the time. Please repeat the and, comment. I will, I will. I, when he's finished, I promise I'll repeat it. <laughs> and uh, you have the TV shows, which even in Arrow, which is a lot darker, tends to have a little bit of humor. Like, how important do you think that is in like both critical and fan reception? So he, he asked, um, he said that um, in, in the films, and the Snyder films particularly, that there's no humor. And it is like non-stop, you know, action and drama. Whereas even on the darker show, even, even on Gotham, even on, on Arrow, um, that have the, dark, the darker themes in the, uh, in the DC TV universe, that there are still moments of levity and there are comic relief characters. And, and I guess the last part is you wanted to know if that was a pro or a con. Yeah, well, how do you guys think that might have affected critical and... How, how, how it affected critical and fan reception. Well, I would disagree with you because Batman v Superman had Alfred Pennyworth making jokes. <laughs> he was very sarcastic and always called Bruce out of his garbage. And then Harry White, you know, uh, what was that, water wet joke? I mean, he was doing that stuff all the time. And uh, even Martha Kent had a little moment where Batman saves her and, and she says, uh, he says, uh, you know, I'm a friend of your son's. And she says, I figured the cake. So I, I, my question to anyone who, and take offense, please, um, but my question would be, what do you find humorous? What to you is funny? Because I think that is very humorous and funny, and I think that's good comic relief because they do it at appropriate times. They're not making jokes while they fight. They're making jokes when it is meaningful and makes sense. 
So I, I consider that uh, the bad news for me about the justice had a lot of humor in it. I guess I'll be the dissent on this one. I think when you kick off your thematic franchise with Superman, with Man of Steel, which overall I found to be very dark and grim, and not at all what I usually associate with Superman, and then you make your movie about supervillains actually fun, I think there's something wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> it was exhausting to watch um, Man, um, Batman be Superman for me. Because the, the Superman that I knew was but it didn't feel organic. It felt like, okay, we've been really, really dark this entire time. Now we need a joke. Yeah. And then there were parts of the just it was really exhausting to watch that for so long and not have any levity. Now, you don't have to be light. I don't want it to be funny, haha. But I wanted moments of the mood or shift. I just felt like this flat line, everything wobbled. I think Man of Steel alienated me so much to the point where, as a lifelong comic book fan, I did not go see Batman vs. Superman. That was not, I didn't get to it. That was a conscious choice on my part. And it's not even a matter of just like, I, I, I think when you talked about humor, you also talked about lightness or levity as well. It's not even just a matter of being able to pinpoint, which you did beautifully. You know, there's this is a joke, here's this, that. If, if there's not an atmosphere set where occasionally we have some lightness or occasionally we may have a character who's bringing in the lightness, then it's not so much that the jokes fall flat, but they don't entertain us in the same way as what you're describing. So I think the, the idea of humor here is different and you're recognizing it from a writing standpoint, there's jokes written in, but you're saying as a fan watching this, I recognize that that was funny, but here I am not laughing anyways, and we're all not, you know, like we're all sitting here in the theater like, not laughing at this show. Is that the my fault of the movie or the viewer? I think it's the fault of the writing of the movie and the execution that there's not an element of lightness. However, some people do prefer that there's only dark humor, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But what we're saying is there's some of us here who think that the dark will look even darker and more grim if there is some element of element of light or humor to contrast with it. It's going to make the movie even more believably dark. Michael, yeah, you, had, Michael you had something to say? Yeah. Humor and horror and tragedy all ultimately trade on the same thing, which is subverted expectation. Mm -hmm. and in the best of Whedon's writing, you never know what's going to come out of the end of the gun, whether it's a silver bullet or a flag that says bang. And so he's sort of the master of realizing that when you set up an expectation and then subvert it, you can either make it funny, you can make it horrifying, or you can make it tragic. The difference between those three things is that humor is the variety of effect that we can control. We can't eliminate horror or tragedy from the world, but we can create humor. And so in those stories, I think humor does serve a very important purpose, and it is underutilized in those films because it can become a defense against the horror and tragedy. It's a coping mechanism. I mean, you see that? You, that's something that I think that the Arrowverse, some of the characters do very, very well. Um, off the top of my head, two of my favorites, uh, Cisco Ramon and Captain Cold. They're very different characters. We're, we're Captain Cold fans over here, so. Um, Captain Cold is the best character in the universe. <laughs> Um, but the two of them, um, and I would say the second best is Cisco, I'm just saying. But, like, um, but uh, the two of them are, are very different types of humor. But they both are characters that use humor uh, to deflect and to cope and to uh, mitigate what's going on around them. And that I think that's part of uh, their popularity in the fan base is that they're, they're funny, but they're funny in ways that are very human, you know, and that are very accessible and we can understand why when Leonard Snart was confronted with somebody saying Vandal Savage, you know, tamer, destroyer of empires, and he responded with Leonard Snart, robber of ATMs. <laughs> humor is something that we do to try to tell ourselves that we still have some control over, this, over the situation that we're in. It's, it's a way to give ourselves a feeling of agency, and when we see characters make humorous remarks, we get the feeling that they still feel like they got some fight left them. Yeah. There's something left to fight for then in that moment. You, the Leonard comparison is good, the Cisco comparison, I think a good example of that. Um, in the Arrow universe would be Smoke. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because when we see characters like that come in and still have some element of humanity, then that's the only thing that we're rooting for. If, we, if we're having to watch a bunch of characters with no element of humanity left, you know, those dark, grim jokes can be great. That'll make for a great, funny one-liner to tweet. But at the same time, 
still sitting here not laughing. You know what I mean? Like, we have to have something where, you know, I would fight for that person, so I understand why the hero is fighting for that person, or I understand why they are a hero, because they still have that element in them. Um, The three characters we just listed, one example from each of the TV shows, are there. But if you had to list one from the movie that you're questioning, you know, who is that? Who, those characters add a lot of dimension to the <laughs> universe. They Absolutely. added a lot of a lot of different Things levels. Save the show. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I think what probably happened with Batman versus Superman is that they focus so much on we have to sell Batman, mm-hmm. and from that, you know, and you know, that's what they got what they want. Now we have a Batman solo movie coming. And that's part one of their goals, you know. Mm-hmm. But in doing that. Um, having Batman so much in the forefront, like even in some of the earlier Batman movies, like say The Dark Knight, the Joker was really more uh, prevalent in the movie more so than Batman himself. So the movie did come across as being very, you know, still humorous, even though it was a very dark movie. Versus in this, versus generally in Batman's world, like in the comic books, the only person who's really funny is Alfred. Mm-hmm. Batman's always so, so serious. The only thing is when he's Bruce Wayne and someone's trying to ask him something like, when Clark Kent uh, was trying to ask the president, he deflected to Diana about how beautiful she looks. He was doing, you know, humor to deflect, but without someone like Alfred, you know, in the scene with him, he is very, very dark because they made so much about Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think that's how it became so, so dark. It's like only in those moments where it's not about him or how he perceives the world, which is why I think they did with Batman versus Superman too. Let's tell this world yeah. through the eyes of Someone who's so so dark and without humor. For sure. I I've, yeah. I mean I I've never seen it. I've never. What um what he said was that that he thought that part of the reason that there's um, a lack of comedic elements in the films is because especially in, in Batman vs Superman is because it's centered on Batman. And it's true. I personally don't. I'm not aware of any comedy that's um, starring Batman. So. Batman the animated series. There you go. Maybe not. Maybe still the straight man of the of the jokes there. You know. So. Um, yes. Uh, yes. Back there. Um, I wanted to go back to an earlier comment. I can't. I can't hear you. I'm so sorry. I wanted to go back to an earlier comment that I believe you. I believe you made about um, the contrast in Batman versus Superman of. I think it was Superman was the one that's... Uh, oh, yeah, the contrast of the philosophies. Yeah, of you have to have a trial versus Batman was the one that was kill them all, block them up, whatever. Which I think is interesting that you... And you just tried to reference the animated series because Batman in the animated series is the other way around. Yeah. There's a specific scene in, I think it's like the fourth episode of the animated series where he confronts that Sewer King dude and he's like... And he specifically says, I don't pass sentence, that's for the courts. But I'm sorely tempted to do the job myself this time. I think that was love. Who's that? The, okay, whatever. No, Stewart King was the one with the ki- with the children. With the kids, yeah. And that's that's who I was talking about. Um, and so I just I, I just wanted to comment that I found it interesting that that has switched now. That yeah, Batman yeah. is the more vigilante-ish one, and. Um, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, Superman. Isn't. The reality is they're all vigilantes. Well, yeah. But it, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's the the, the uh, movie universe is, is heavily influenced by the choice to make Batman the mouthpiece of, uh, you know, of, uh, and certainly this is not the first time that that question has been brought up in superhero, uh, in a superhero context. But yeah, in, in the movies, um, Batman is the mouthpiece for the point of view that. Uh, you know, well, we're super powered, and we have either super powered or might as well be super powered with all the stuff that we, we can do, uh, and and so that makes us above the law. And I, you're right; he hasn't always taken that time, and, and that's just been the choice to have him be that mouthpiece in, in, in movies. Thinking back on that, um, the, the superhero that we consider to be most um, the, 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 the most uh, middle stable, I guess it's called. Barry Allen for the entire first season of. The Flash, the only people into a cage without their constitutional rights, right? And so, as a former public defender, I would watch, what are you doing? Uh, and so, even, I think all superheroes sort of suffer from that issue of, all right, well, you're bad, and you're going to show the world, so put you in a cage. They do get <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was relieved when when people started calling them on that about like we can't just keep them locked up here forever and we really have no right to do this and this is not okay and 
because it really seemed like nobody gave that a second thought for the first season. <laughs> and that was very troubling. Well, I think that that's part of why the Arrowverse is so much brighter than Flash. We call it the Arrowverse, but the Flash is the show where they do, in my opinion, the most complex world building. Because um, that's, you know, they introduced the, the portals and everything like that. But uh, by the Flash is just a much brighter, happier show. And as a result of having the Flash be the show where a lot of their concepts first appear, the rest of the universe in, in the television series is just happier. Or it's, or it's like Supergirl is like blindingly cheerful. You know, it's going to be very interesting to see. I guess that's a good segue into our into our next topic is, you know, is, is how, um, how now that we have four-way crossover happening this year with uh, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, Arrow, and The Flash. And uh, now that Supergirl has uh, migrated to the CW and is officially part of, I guess, the, the Berlantiverse, I guess is probably a better way to put it now. Um, because, you know, Arrow, Arrow certainly was the first, but, you know, it's, it's not the definitive, you know, marker by which all the other shows are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that the Berlantiverse, I'm pointing it now. <laughs> um, that's, uh, that, I'm kind of curious to see how you guys are gonna are thinking of um, how that's gonna impact all the different shows. And also, uh, from what I understand, I was told yesterday that uh, people at Fox over the summer have been talking about a possible crossover with Gotham and how, how that, yeah, which I was super excited about. But um, yeah, so, I think it's I think it's interesting because one of the things we had just talked about was you know superheroes taking responsibility for their actions, and I think that in a crossover setting, we're going to see the, it, it's interesting to see the different shows take more or less responsibility in that, you know, we have talked about on Supergirl, it's quite a bright and happy show. However, anytime that Supergirl does anything affecting the general population or family in her life, even villains, they usually discuss and consider her responsibility in the matter um, and whether she's treating them, you know, with giving them humane treatment. And then on the other hand, you have, you know, dark, gritty shows like Arrow, where you still have that as well, where even if um, one or more of the main heroes is sort of disregarding somebody else's rights or, you know, trying to decide whether or not to kill people, there's others around them sort of holding them responsible or at least, you know, providing a sounding board for their actions. But then you have shows like The Flash where, and this is a good point you brought up as well, where you have characters like Barry, and we're led to believe that these are bright and happy shows, but at the same time, we're seeing somebody who like risks the entire world to... How many times are we gonna have to watch his mom die? Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> to try to save his like, mom, but, you know, but like season 10, we'll be like, oh, she's dead again, whatever. You know, he, like, does, <laughs> he does this over and over without necessarily being held responsible for his actions in anything other than a situation in which we're supposed to be pitying him. And they do this, in a, you know, you get the you get the happy, sappy music, and you get you know somebody trying to you know pet him like a puppy dog. But at the same time, this guy is like wrecking the world of like four different TV show universes, and is not held responsible for it. So I think that in the four-way crossover will be interesting yeah, to, to see, see other people yell at him for it. Yeah, whether or not certain superheroes are being held responsible for the effect that they're having on their lives, their family, their city, but also other people's shows. Yeah, there's like a really enthusiastic. She had a question. Yeah, I always look on Gotham. Gotham. Yeah. Started out like Gotham was sort of back in the past. Right. How in the world if they gonna incorporate that? Because now last season they had cell phones and computers and all that. Right. Before they were walking around, where's the payphone? Right. Gotham's. Her question was, how are they gonna incorporate Gotham? How could they possibly incorporate Gotham into? You know, we've seen we've seen that the uh, the Arrowverse, Berlantiverse, whatever, has has um, has multiple Earths, and um, we have characters from I think at least four different Earths now because we have Earth One, which is our I guess presumably our Earth, and then Earth Two, and um, now we have the JSA coming in from Earth Three, and presumably Kara's um, Kara, uh, uh, Supergirl's uh, Earth is a fourth one, and there may be. You know, they've established there's dozens of them. Um, I think that that would be the way around it. I, I actually don't think that Gotham is set in the past. I think it's set in a an alternate universe in the present day. And obviously, this has been like extensively debated and dissected online, and I'm sure by many people that are much smarter than I am. But that that would be my response: is that if they ever did, they would introduce it as like Earth Five, 
and, and in a world where they do have cell phones, but they also have pay phones, and it's, it's almost got some almost steampunk elements to it, where it's, uh, it's an alternate timeline. Visually, that's just sort of the signature of the multiverse, and it really shows is that it has modern technology, but a retro aesthetic. Yeah. We saw that on Earth 2. Yeah, Earth 2 on the flash. I'm very much looking forward to the crossover of the four shows. Me too. I cannot wait for the first time all of the Queen and Supergirl are in the same room together. That's going to be vastly entertaining. All I ask for in the crossover is for Cat Grant and Malcolm Merlin and Captain Cold to all be in one <laughs> But for that other part I was talking about, I actually really don't want them to go to Gotham. I think Gotham is very much its own separate world and universe. And as of what they've done with several of the characters most recently, I would actually make the argument that I'm not convinced there are any heroes in Gotham. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's why they need the Batman. That's why. See, Gotham, Gotham is very distinctive. Um, with the other, with the Arrowverse shows, they're all about characters. They're all about the different characters and the relationships. And I think Gotham, um, the uh, Drew Powell, who plays Butch on Gotham, made a really awesome point in his panel that he's like, Gotham is really the story of the city. It's really not a story about any character. The characters are, are there telling the story of the city, but ultimately it's a story of, of what, why Gotham got to be the way that it is and why they needed Batman in, in the first place. And that's very different from, from everything else. So I think, I think that if that ever comes to pass, I think they'll have a lot of work cut out for them. From a writing, this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, but from a writing standpoint, when you do have crossovers, um, you do potentially sacrifice a little bit of your plot, and with a show like Gotham, which fundamentally has to be, everything that they do is, in the grand scheme of the Batman story, categorized as exposition, it cannot get outside of that. To put that in a universe right now? I mean, they can try, but it's still under the grand umbrella of exposition within the larger story of the Batman universe. To put that in a crossover with other shows where they're developing a character story currently, um, I do think that there would become, even if you do use little loopholes like the, the multiverse, you do start to create plot holes, if not necessarily definable plot holes in the show itself, but plot holes in the way the viewer can interpret the characters in the scheme of what they're watching. I mean, yeah. That, that, I agree with that, but on, on the flip side, Earth 2 was so different from our Earth. I mean, they have Atlantis. They're, you know, Nora, Nora Allen and his, and his you know, they, were, they were going on vacation to Atlantis, and he had Hal Jordan and Diana Prince on speed dial. So it's a very, it's a little Easter egg they have in there. And so it's a very different universe. Um, it's, it's, I mean, radically different than, than Earth 1. They didn't explore that so much, even though they had Harry and, and Jesse Wells as characters last year. So I, I don't think it's impossible, but I, I, I agree that it would be, it would require a lot of tweaking and a lot of like seeing how things fit together, but I think it's, it's doable, so. There's, there's a question, okay. What do you say to the notion that because of Flashpoint, and because everything has a ripple effect based on Barry Allen's choices, mm -hmm. that Barry Allen is one of the biggest villains in the DC that's a great question. I've seen that asked She asked, uh, did everybody hear that? That was a really great question. About, yeah, I've never heard this is really good. That because of Barry Allen's choices and Flashpoint, uh, and how it had a ripple effect and it's going to affect all of these other characters and shows, that uh, you could argue that Barry Allen is one of the biggest villains in the DC universe. That's, that's what the comic from Flashpoint is about. Yeah. Yeah. He basically destroys the world, saving his mother. Is it worth it? Yeah. Barry Allen destroyer of women. Wouldn't it be awesome if Rick Turner, Rick, uh, Rick Turner <coughs> called him out on it? Yeah. yeah. Barry is extremely selfish. Like, yeah. I say this yeah. as a fan of something. He's yeah. a extremely selfish character, and he's been told over and over again, don't save your mother, but he keeps doing this. And it's like, yes, because you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it, and he has yet to learn that. It's, it, when you look at, uh, we talked about this with Batman and Superman as well, when we're trying to figure out sort of the moral center, the moral compass of these superheroes, you know, there's always these pros and cons, and some of them, you know, we can kind of, okay, I'm aligned with this one morally, less so with this one. I, I have a hard time in any way morally aligning with Barry Allen's choices. His choices are those of a villain or somebody on the road to become a villain packaged inside of like a puppy dog superhero. That's why uh, his relationship to the Rose Gallery, in particular Captain Cold, is, is very interesting, especially yes. the way that it plays out on the show because they're really two sides of the same point. <coughs> and the actors of both, if you guys have, uh, haven't read 
Greg Gessen and Robert Miller's comments about their their dynamic. The very they both have very interesting things to say about it. About how uh, Mary Ellen is 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 forging his identity as a young person, and um, he sees all these different role models in his life, and and then he sees uh, someone like Captain Cold, who has made a series of choices as well, and how that influences him. And and they do have this weird connection. Um, even though Captain Cold is, is, does a lot of really bad stuff, and so and so, like, what is that about? It does speak to the fact that Barry does understand on some level that he has the ability to to do a lot of bad stuff. He, he's aware of that aspect of his own personality, I think. And then he, because he is he's a selfish person, I say that as a huge Barry Allen fan. <laughs> because he is a selfish person, he, he gives into it sometimes, and that's what makes him human. But you know, there's no denying that it screws things up. I think yes. you could make the argument at this point that Captain Cold is a much more honest character. Yes, yes. Yeah. He, he, You know, he calls himself Robert of ATMs or whatever, and he goes around and steals people's stuff. That's what he does. Barry has a lot of heroic motivations, but ends up doing things that are infinitely worse than I think any villain on that show could actually pull off at this point. Oh no, for sure. Wentworth Mills has actually spoken to that quite extensively. He's like, you know, Barry Allen, who's this dude running around in a mask? Whereas he's like, hi, I'm Leonard Snart. I'm here to rob everyone because I'm a super villain. And I just look at my face, you know, he's like very who he is. And although I think that there are aspects of the Captain Cold persona that are very performative, I think that some of it is performance. And that's a very, like it's a, I think that's part of why the character is very interesting is he's a performance within a performance, is that he's, he's a person pretending to be a person pretending to be a character. And so, um, but uh, but nevertheless, he is who he is, and, you know, and, and he doesn't apologize for it, and he, he may change, you know, he may change his mind about things, but I think, you know, Barry does does conceal a lot about himself that he may I think the scene between Barry and Captain Cold and Captain Cold said, I, you know, best of luck with all this stuff you've got going on here. I'm really excited to see how it turns out. Mm -hmm. I think that's him saying, you're going to do things that are worse than I could imagine. And I kind of wait to see what happens. Because if we look at the way Captain Cold is written, and, you know, he does bad things, but he has some moral centers with which we can identify. Captain Cold is introduced pretty quickly with family members, and we can believably see through the storyline his alignment to his family members, his commitment to his family members, even when they, you know, aren't necessarily you know, good guys themselves. Whereas Barry has been handed tons of beautiful, loving family members, and he risks it at the end of season one, he risks their lives to try to go back and, you know, not even save his mother. And that doesn't, that doesn't convince us that he really is committed to them the way these characters are written to be committed to him. You know, he, he has, you know, so many family figures in his life that he has, uh, hopefully, if he's at all, you know, has any humanity, he would want to protect them after all they've done for him, and he won't tell them the truth, he won't protect them, he risks their life. It, it's hard to identify with him as a hero. Yeah, and you see, you see that, you see that a lot, um, you know, with people in his own universe. So when, when the crossover happens, I, I really do hope that, you know, that, that as people said, that, that other characters, at least, like, Come into question and call and call him out on some of this stuff and and I mean certainly we've seen we've seen Oliver call him out on, on some of his cockiness and things like that so then that those have been really good scenes yeah, for both those characters so hopefully the crossover it's going to be four episodes I think it's going to be four the whole week is going to be oh, plus the musical I don't even know what that's about anymore but <laughs> but, um, but yeah so um, I've heard all kinds of rumors about it. It makes sense then that we keep that version, and this applies to other, I think, superheroes as well, to keep that version separate from the cinematic universe, Barry Allen, as well then, because if you look at all that they have going on with him, if you imagine trying to take that character and then give them a storyline in the DC cinematic universe, there's just no way to do any of those universes justice in that way, as just more, for the, more than an Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, just for the sake of an Easter egg, just for the sake of a familiar face, just for the sake of those who are fans of the TV show, you know, like, I understand, I understand understand from a fan standpoint that would be nice but you know even with with, with the most basic understanding of the writing it's simply going to sacrifice the quality yeah the, the gentleman in the back and then the, the, yeah uh, how do you think flashpoint will affect all the different uh DC's shows. How we think Flashpoint will affect all the different DC shows. <laughs> yeah, like what ripple effects do you think will come out of that? I think that just from a standpoint of, you know, logistics, it won't affect it as much as we think it will. I agree. All right, like there are four different TV shows, they have four different showrunners. I don't think it'd be easy to sort of change all of that. But you might see some hints here or there, but I don't think it'll be a significant change on Arrow or Legends of Tomorrow because 
still have their own story to tell, even if Barry didn't go yeah, I, I, I think it'll be like, they, they said that it will affect it, to what extent they will uh, they, they will affect the other shows. But other shows will be affected. Now, whether that's in the form of an Easter egg here and there, or a little shout out, or a little hint, or if it's like a radically changed character, uh, that remains to be seen. Um, but I, I agree, just from a logistical standpoint, I think it'll be really tough to completely change a, a major plot point. Um, a lot of people have talked about bringing back Eddie Thon, because if you think about what led to his death, uh, none of that would exist with with Barry saving Nora and all of that. So, um, but as far as I know, that's not that's not happening. So, um, I, I really I think it's probably not. It's going to be pretty limited. And I, I don't think. Th and this is not a spoiler. This is just my own personal speculation. I, I don't think that storyline is going to last past you know the first half of the season. So I think they're probably going to wrap that up. And I mean, I suspect they're, they're doing the Rogues Gallery plot. You know, I'm pretty into it. Was about five episodes worth yeah. of ramifications, maybe. A, a classic, similar example being from back in the day on Dallas. Bobby for a season, and then it all turned out to have been a dream in the previous season just got wiped out of existence. There was a spin-off called Not Landing where they had spent a season talking about Bobby yes. being dead, and people felt bad about that, and right? <laughs> decided they weren't going to undo a year of Not Landing, so they just haired off into a different universe. And <laughs> not Landing, like presumably yeah. happening in the town, basically, just had a completely different set of facts. Yes, you can. I totally get what you're saying about Barry being a villain and not being sympathetic and not taking care of his family, but you cannot call Barry out for being a liar because every single character on every single one of these shows is the biggest bunch of lying McLiarsons ever. I mean, it's like five lies and a truth. With it's true. Barry is not alone in, in not always being forthright. That's true. It's well, I think one of the things you might consider is the fact that um, you know, maybe Barry's hero's journey is learning to be less selfish. Because you think Arthur, or Sir Oliver, had his own hero's journey. He had to you know, stop being murdering vigilantes. So maybe <laughs> Barry's hero's journey is to start, it is to let go of the past and make his choices more about, like you said, his, his real family. I think we see that he does eventually learn right. that because at the end of season one we see that his, somebody can correct me on this, his future self tells him not to do it. Yeah. He stops him from but doing it. So his, his question, by the way, his question was that um, that Barry's um, journey, just like Oliver's journey, was to, to stop being a murdering vigilante is the... Um, that Barry's journey is, is to stop um, being being selfish and to learn to be more selfless than to let go. And, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know, I just wanted everyone to know what the question was. No, that's not, I, I was just saying, I think it's neat that we get to see that he has maybe already gotten to that point, even though we haven't seen him get there yet. I think that's a tease that we will see him eventually learn that, yeah, it would be pretty cool if my mom was still alive, my dad was still alive now, but maybe that's not the right thing or the... Um, you know, maybe that's a selfish thing that does turn me into a villain. I think that, it, I, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but a, a trailer dropped after a Comic-Con where the reverse Flash, of all people, is calling him a villain. Mm -hmm. So I think we're, we're going to start to see that he eventually does learn that lesson. It's just a matter of how does he get there. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, I just need to back off of what Rebecca said. Um, I do think a lot of what Flash is doing is trying to get to that point at the end of season one where he becomes that Flash who says, don't do this. Because you want to figure out, you as the audience want to know, why well, we know the comforters why you shouldn't do it, but how is he going to turn to that person that knows? So at some point you know Flash is going to have to happen because he's going to learn this is a mistake to save their mother. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I do think, I agree, he said that, um, Flash, that Flash is getting to the point where he, where Barry is that future self where he's saying, uh, yeah, but you know, this is what makes all of these characters, all the characters on the on on, on the, all the DC, you know, there's, there's always. This is why we like superheroes, right? Is because they are these extraordinary people, but at the same time, they have very relatable flaws, and they they're, they're very they, they represent magnified humanity, and um, you know, all of the mistakes that that all of these characters make, whether it be you know Bruce and, and Clark on and the Snyderverse, and, and, or Oliver, or all of there's a long list of mistakes that have been made all around. Um, you know, we we can see where they're coming from. I can't think off the top of my head where some of these heroes have made a mistake and I've been like, I have no idea why that person did that. I could at least empathize with their rationale, even if I was, I thought they were way off base. I mean, certainly, you know, 
after having lost your, your dad right in front of you, brutally murdered, and seeing an opportunity to save your mother, I can see why he wasn't maybe thinking rationally. I, I can empathize, even though I was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I can still see why. And, and I think that's part of what makes all of these stories resonate with us, uh, you know, is that, that we can see that element of humanity in them and um, just rock large, you know? Yes. Uh, this is, I guess, kind of piggybacking off of what you just said there. You know, do you find it, at least in like the Snyderverse or in any of these uh, recent uh, DC superhero movies, it harder to empathize with the main characters as it is in the TV series? Because I, I personally find, like, even though I know the origin story for a character like Batman, it should hit me at the core. You know, it should hit a lot of people at the core. It's why it's a great story. But it just doesn't, and I don't empathize with that character. And the same goes for Superman. When you compare to like the TV series, where these characters, whether it's because they're more fleshed out or not, they just they're easier to empathize with. Like, do you guys agree with that? Disagree with that? He, he wants to know if we think that um, that the movie characters are, are harder to empathize and sympathize with because um, they're not as accessible as the TV show versions. And um, for me, I, I really liked. Uh, Henry Cavill's Clark Kent. I think that um, even as he ret retains a very uh, alien quality to his performance, which I thought was really interesting, there's something otherworldly about his Superman and his Clark Kent that um, is still very rooted in a, an alien that has grown up here in, uh, on Earth. And um, I, I found him almost a, a very, you know, a very tragic figure in the films, and um, and I felt for him on that level. But I, I think it's hard to answer that question with being fair to the films, because the films have such a truncated amount of time to tell their stories and to let us get to know these characters, whereas we have dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes uh, to really explore the motives and the feelings and the relationships between the characters on the TV shows. Um, and I mean, you know, Gotham and uh, you know the Snyderverse are really good compare and contrast to that, because um, you know, I have to admit, I, I, I like Superman, but I'm not the biggest Superman, I mean, Batman fan, rather, um, and, and I, I've kind of become more sympathetic toward Bruce Wayne, seeing his, um, you know, him as a child, uh, and his relationship with Alfred, and I've even gotten to feel more for Alfred as this, you know, very loving father figure to some degree, you know, especially in the first season, uh, that has, that makes all the the rash decisions that you would expect from a from a father, um, and all this stuff, and just seeing their dynamic, and, and, and just for me, having him explored in, in the TV format has made Batman and Bruce Wayne more accessible to me. Whereas, you know, two and a half hours where he's one of you know twenty different characters, it's just it's harder to to find that connection point. So I, I don't know if it's 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 almost like not fair to the movies to compare those two, but it, it is a, it is a good point to ponder. It's a lot easier to feel empathy when we are shown empathy or when we see someone showing empathy, and there is not a lot of empathy or compassion to go around in these films, frankly. That, they have reached peak empathy a long time ago, apparently, and the, and the well has run dry. Um, as for the TV show, I think Alfred is a machine that makes psychopaths. So. <laughs> for me, I can empathize a lot with the cinematic versions of these characters with several characters with Lois Lane is well, a big one for well me. With, yeah. with Lois and how you know she loses a family member she in all for all purposes her fiance is dead and to see her mourn that and even Martha Kent I you know I've, I've lost several members of my family and I know exactly what that's like and um, for Clark Kent it, I totally it, Henry Cavill plays it so beautifully even without words that he tries and tries and tries to do the right thing every time, and the media hates him, people hate him, and he just keeps trying to do the right thing. And I think at some point in all of our lives that we probably experience that. I know I have. And with Bruce Wayne, I love, and his arc is so beautiful about Batman be Superman because he starts off so angry and so vengeful. And because of his inter interaction with Superman and seeing what he does at the end of that movie, he's a changed man. He doesn't brand like Luthor. You talk about the justice of the movie and he's a changed man and the the most amazing part of that movie for me is the message at the end of the movie you know if you seek his monument look around you i think that's amazing because yeah. that says that any of us could be superman you know the people in the back could be superman this gentleman next to me could be superman i could be superman the, the people on the 10th floor of the marriott could be superman so you don't have to have superpowers but you can 
have that attitude and that belief that you can make a difference and change the world. And so I love that. I think that that is impactful for all of us, that we, we need to see that we can make a difference, even if it's so hard and you keep trying and you try to make a difference and you just keep doing it, even if people try to put you down. And so I think for uh, the Snyderverse, for the Bat, uh, Batman v Superman, for even Man of Steel, I connected a lot with Clark. So I, 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 I heavily empathize with all of them. So we have four minutes, I, I don't want to cut it off, but we have four minutes left, so maybe I have time for one more question. But I do want to say um, that I'm supposed to mention you guys, if you enjoyed the panel or if you didn't, or if you had any feedback for us, you can please rate us on the app. Um, the, those are uh, all read by our track directors and taken into account uh, for next year's programming as well. So we would love to hear your feedback. Um, so if you had to just have a moment to, to rate us on the app, we'd be really grateful. And also, I'm supposed to mention that we, we are collecting for a charity, for an Atlanta-run charity. I, I, I'm really sorry, I'm blanking on the name right now, but I do know that it's a wonderful organization that helps adults um, in the Atlanta area get back on their feet, um, whether they've experienced uh, you know issues in their lives. And, and, and they do wonderful work here in Atlanta. So if you could, if you have to take a moment to, to donate. Well, I think we have time for like one more question. Marcus had his hand up for like a really long time. Maybe if you have time for it too. Uh, yeah, um, I was asking the the question about the Superman Supergirl is coming to the CW. Yes, yes. So, how will she interact? Will, will they make her part of the Berlantiverse, like the Arrowverse, or will they keep her in her own separate world? Do you think Flashpoint will bring her over, or what do you I think do. will happen in that? I do think so. I do think she'll be she'll be a part. I, if the question was whether how Supergirl will interact in the Berlantiverse. I, I think particularly. I think that Tyler Hecklin's uh, Clark Kent will probably be seen in other, like he's probably more flexible than Kara is because Kara is, you know, has to be there all the time. So I think that, that, that some of the, the characters of Supergirl have little cameos and guest spots and I think we're going to continue to see that. And that's one of the extraordinary things about the Berlin-verse is that, um, is that uh, this is a, a unique moment in television history where we have four shows that are taking place in the same in the same universe. I think that's never happened before, as far as I know. And, and so um, it, it gives them a very, very broad canvas uh, to tell a bunch of different stories, or even one-offs or guest spots. So I, I think we'll, we'll probably see, uh, depending on how, how Clark Kent goes over with the fans and, and, and things like that, I think we'll probably see him pop up on a flash or an arrow or something. According to everything I've read about the upcoming seasons, yes. National City is staying in its own universe, and it'll be very, very limited travel between the two different the Arrowverse shows, as it were, and Supergirl show. We've read different things. I think, I, think, I, think, I think the difference in definition here is that um, because Supergirl is set, as he says, in Earth 3 or whatever number you would like to call it, um, there, there may not be as much interaction with the original like Earth 1 or 2 characters, but you have to remember that in Earth 3 there will be versions of all these other characters. So, for example, um, yeah, so when we see um, like uh, Flash travel to different universes and meet different versions of himself, we would theoretically also see an Earth 3 version of Flash and an Earth 3 version of you know our favorite Arrow characters. And whoever we might want to interact with Supergirl, it could be a version of them, but not the original version from the show. That's a possibility. Yeah. When narratively, they're clearly interested in expanding ways to explore the multiverse. Last mm -hmm. season, we saw accidental multidimensional travel or interdimensional travel. Right. And I think the next step is for them to create a, a stable, reliable, interdimensional travel technology. And like, yeah, depending on availability, and you know, you see a lot more crossovers often between like shows who are on the same lot and therefore have more availability, like Flash and Arrow right next to each other, Legends and Supergirl are going to be right next to, right next to each other, and coincidentally, Legends has um, a little bit more flexibility in terms of both time travel and other things going on with it, that it could be um, a little bit easier to have their characters cross over, whereas Flash and Arrow would either require some explanation, like a really long explanation, <laughs> or it would just be an Earth 3 version right. of the character. Well, thank you guys. I'm really sorry we have time for more questions, but thank you. Thank you.